Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. If you're watching online, you already have my title. I called this Faith Session Montreal Session 1. Faith Session Montreal Session 1. And we're going to get into the Word of God on probably the most important subject there is in the world let alone the Bible. The most important thing is faith. You can, there was a preacher named Kenneth Hagin, and uh, if you don't know the story, he, was a, he basically didn't go to church, and then he had a family that was kind of Methodist, and there were, I think one, one of the relatives was a Methodist, one was a Baptist. So he got diagnosed with a heart condition when he was born, and it was a congenital heart defect that got worse as he got older. So as, as uh, Kenneth Hagin's 15, his heart's now so weak, they had to withdraw him from school, and uh, he couldn't move, just bedridden from weakness. His mother had to bathe him at 15 years old, and he was going to die. And so, in fact, he did die. One of his messages that a lot of people haven't heard is he talks about when he went to hell because he wasn't born again. He died, went to hell, told what happened. And um, what happened was when he came back from hell, he got a hold of his grandmother's Bible, and started to read it in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24. Well, since I'm teaching on faith, turn there with me. Mark 11, 22 through 24. Mark 11, verses 22 through 24. Then Jesus said, have faith in God. Everybody say that, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, be lifted up and cast into the sea, and your command will be obeyed. Whose command? Whose command? Listen, this is not detention. This is not study hall. No one's in trouble here. I like participation. This is not a speech. Whose command will be obeyed? Your command. Say, my command will be obeyed. Well, that's a little different from, well, whatever God wants, we just leave it to him. No, Jesus said, if you have faith in God, you can speak to the mountain and tell it to be lifted up and cast into the sea. And you can not only say it, your command will be obeyed. If you really believe and have no doubt in your heart, then Jesus said, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it shall be yours. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, you can pray for anything. Obviously, that's in line with God's word, but if you read God's word, there's a lot that's in line with God's word, including land ownership, home ownership, the ability to run a family, the ability for your children to serve the Lord, your health, your your, your increase in finances, your increase in wisdom. There's a lot in the Bible that deals with your increase. Jesus said you can pray for anything along those lines, and if you believe that you have received it, not believe that you will receive it, believe that you have received it when you pray. No different than when you order something on Amazon. The first time you order something on Amazon, you've never done it before, and you're checking and refreshing and checking the tracking, but after you've ordered like the 150th thing, stuff starts arriving that you forgot you even ordered. 
You open up, oh, I forgot I even ordered that. Because you actually have so much confidence in that with them not butchering any packages or shipping that you just put in the order and forget about it. Well, if you can do that with Amazon, you can do that with God. God has a better shipping system than Amazon does. Can you say amen? So you actually, you believe you received it when you hit the, the button on, on your phone, when you hit the app and order, and it says order complete. Well, when you pray, the Bible says you don't believe you're going to get it. You believe that when you've asked, you've already received. If you believe that you have received it, it shall be yours. So when Kenneth Hagin read that scripture at 15 years old, he started, it hit him in his spirit. And he, out of that scripture, he used that to get free from that heart condition. And after he did, he started, he was a Baptist, but he started hanging around Pentecostal people. And his words were, though he thought speaking in tongues was foolish, he was willing to put up with some foolishness to be around people that at least believed his testimony that he got healed. Because Baptists believed that healing died out with the last apostle. So at least if he was with the Pentecostals, they didn't have any problem with him believing that when he called on God, God strengthened his heart. And then he'd put up with the tongue stuff, which is what a lot of you do at Good News Chapel, I'm sure. You're not real cool on the speaking in tongues, but Pastor Steve has a positive message and you like the worship and you like the feeling here and you're willing to put up with some tongues. And uh, I'm not preaching on it today, but tongues is where the action's at. You should get in on that as quick as you can. And that's uh, the most gambler explanation of tongues ever, that tongues is where the action's at. I don't know if you could make a theological case like that, but that, that is where, where you get built up. So as he got around that, he ended up getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. And uh, the Lord spoke to him as a young man. You've learned these things from faith. It got you better. Now go and teach my people faith at 18 years old. And for the next uh, 70, what, 60 some years, I almost had 70 years in the ministry. If you went to hear Kenneth Hagin preach, like when you went to hear Billy Graham preach, you didn't have to wonder what he was going to preach on. He was going to preach on salvation and the cross. And if you went to hear Oral Roberts preach, you didn't have to guess what he was going to preach on. It was going to be something to do with healing because the Lord spoke to him, take my healing power to your generation. And if you went to go hear Kenneth Hagin speak, you didn't have to think, uh, wonder what he was going to preach on. Even if he announced a different title, it usually started coming back in to the realm of faith because that's what God called him to do. So I said all that to say, people would say, in fact, one pastor said to him, why do you always preach on faith? Why do you feel that's so important? And anytime somebody asked Kenneth Hagin that, he'd rattle off seven reasons he preached on faith like this. He'd say, I don't know if I can get all seven. We said, well, you can't get saved without faith. You can't get justified without faith. You can't get healed without faith. Your prayers can't get answered without faith. And he'd list off seven things that faith does. Well, I mean, if it's only the salvation part, that's, that's enough reason to learn about faith. So when you, when you say faith in Canada or the United States, people, people have misused that word where you think faith means, like if I asked you about your faith, most people in Montreal are going to say something like, I'm Catholic or I'm, I'm a Protestant or I'm Buddhist or I'm of the Hindu faith. But when we talk about faith, we're not talking about what denomination or type of church you align with. Faith is a living power that draws itself from the living word of God and produces living proof in real life. So I wanted to define that up front because I want you to know when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about the importance of being a Protestant and not a Catholic. In fact, there's a lot of Protestants that don't have any faith and there's a lot of Catholics that have great faith and see miracles. 
Catholics actually, in my 21 years of preaching, are some of the easiest people to receive the power of God of anybody I've ever been around because the Catholic faith believes in miracles. You know, if a Catholic burns their toast, they can see Joseph's face or Mary's face. So they're open to the supernatural. Whereas Protestants, for whatever reason, there's this almost anger and hatred against the move of God and the move of the Spirit. That if God starts moving and miracles start happening, nobody tenses up faster than Canadian Assemblies of God people or PAOC people or, you know, that, that believe in it. But it has to happen their certain way where Catholics are just open. God doesn't care what denomination you consider yourself. God, only, God doesn't care what color you are. God doesn't care if you're Indian or, or Pakistani or Italian or English or French. Or, or an islander from Jamaica or Trinidad. God doesn't care about any of those things. God only sees two colors, faith and unbelief. And when there's unbelief, the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, Jesus could do no mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus, Mark chapter 6, and Jesus could do no mighty miracles. How many mighty miracles? He could not. Not he would not to punish them. He was ministering the word and desiring to work miracles. And he could do no mighty miracles there. Why? Because of their stubborn refusal in the Amplified. Their stubborn refusal to believe the word of God. Unbelief. Like if God's blessing and power is a faucet. Unbelief turns that faucet off. I don't believe that stuff. Well, you'll never have it. Unbelief shuts off the flow of God's power. But on the flip side, faith draws on God's power. In fact, you have both stories back to back. Mark chapter 6, Jesus could do no mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus was in a region looking to minister his power. And because the people would not believe who he was and what he said, he couldn't do anything. Then in the chapter before, you had a woman who had an issue of blood and had suffered for 12 years many things, the Bible says, from many physicians, but had gotten no better. In fact, she was worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she said, I know, not I hope. I, is he coming here ever? No. I know when I touch him, I will be made well. She pressed through the crowd, grabbed the hem of his garment, and the Bible says instantly... The, the, the flow of her blood, her internal hemorrhage dried up and she could feel within herself that she had been made well of her affliction. Jesus, feeling healing virtue come out of him, said, who touched me? Jesus didn't know who touched him. Who touched me? The disciples said, Master, there's this great press of crowd all around you. What do you mean who's touching you? It'd be like going to the Bell Center to watch a Canadians game, going in through the gate A. And said, who's touching me? Who's, who's, there was people all around him. Jesus said, no, someone deliberately touched me. The deliberate touch of faith. Think of it. All these people are around Jesus, but eh, some say he's a rabbi. Some say he's um, just nothing. Some say, I don't know. You know, I'm still making up. My they got nothing standing right next to Jesus. But e so think of it. Even if you were with Jesus, if Jesus Christ was here right now, standing here, if you just sat and looked at him and were making up your mind about him, you got nothing. If you said, I don't like what he says. I don't like that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood stuff. That's too far for me. You got nothing. 
The unbelief would shut it off. So even with Christ in the room, it would take faith to draw on what he had. Can you say amen? You're not going to find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus going around forcing miracles on people. People did not receive through unbelief, and people received by faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. He's the head, the church is his body. So the same way people had to receive back then is the same way people receive right now. I felt next to no, if not uh, any resistance at all, yesterday preaching. But I have been places preaching where you could feel the resistance in the people. I remember a church I preached at in Montreal, not this one, another one. The pastor of that church did not like anything to do with the Holy Ghost. I could tell. And he'd argue with me after he was the one that invited me in. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like when you lay hands on people and they fall over. I don't think that's biblical. I'd show them where it is in the Bible. Okay, well, I still don't like it. He would just, anytime the Lord started moving, he was like this. And the last I heard, he's like a Methodist or something like that. He didn't like the Holy Ghost. So there's people that God has to fit in their box. And if God doesn't fit in that box, now for me, I have a box God has to fit in, the scriptures. If it's not scriptural, I don't want to see it. But you have these other people, it has to be the same way every time. It has, God has to minister their way. It's like last night when I was praying. And, uh, you know, I'm not making a doctrine out of snapping your fingers, but I, when I feel to release the power of God, whatever, whether I clap my hand or do that, somebody say, that's not scripture. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus snapped his fingers. Okay, would you be happier if I spit in the woman's eye? Because I guarantee you they'd get, they'd get madder then, even if that is in the Bible. People have a way that they think God has to move. There has to be opening song, greeting, one more fast song, two slow songs, announcements, offering, receive the offering, song during the offering, message, altar call, dismissal. Every service has to be like that if you were raised a certain way. There's no room for God to do anything differently. I've had to learn to do that because I was raised like that. In the Assemblies of God, that's the order of service. You have an opening song, fast song to get the people in. Then the assistant pastor comes up and welcomes everybody. Then you have the fast a couple more fast songs, praise, then worship, then announcements. Then you have the offering, re receiving, maybe a little teaching before it for a couple minutes. So if someone were to come up right out, out of the back room and interrupt the worship service and say, everybody that's been diagnosed with a tumor in your body, come up to the altar right now. I would think, um, we're, uh, excuse me, does this guy not know we're still in the worship part of the service? We haven't even done announcements yet. Altar calls at the end. So God, though he'll never go outside of his word, God's not a boring God and he's not a cult leader. God has a variety in the Holy Ghost on how he wants to move. And you have to be open to the move of the Spirit. If you believe that, go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord. What a friendly Monday morning crowd. You're helping me because I'm not naturally happy on, on a Monday morning, so thank you. Very easy crowd. Say this out loud. Without faith... It is impossible to please God. So that woman with the issue of blood, Jesus, well, if it's God's will, he'll heal me. Well, then you're going to have a hard time with the woman of the, with the issue of blood. Because it was not Jesus' will to heal her in the sense that Jesus was not making any plan to ever go heal that woman. That woman made a plan by her faith to go to where Christ was. And this place is on fire. What do you people do on Monday morning to get that excited? 
This is great. I'm not used to this, but I could get used to it. Amen. What tremendous people. Lift both hands to the Lord. Say this from your spirit. Thank you, Father, that I'm anointed with fresh oil, and you've made me a tremendous blessing to my generation. Increase my faith by your word in Jesus' name. Give the Lord another great hand clap. Man, there's a, something's brewing in Canada. Amen. The woman trembling at the realization of what happened, Mark chapter 5, acknowledged that it was her. And Jesus didn't turn to her and say, don't touch my clothes. Jesus never rebuked anybody for having too much faith. How many know we need to guard against hyper faith? What's hyper faith? Hyper means too much. They used to diagnose kids like, I don't know if they still do, but when I was a kid, they diagnosed you as hyper. It meant you have too much energy. But as you get older, you realize that's an excellent problem to have. They were trying to give boys medication so that they won't have so much energy, but you're supposed to have energy when you're a boy. He, he isn't able to sit still in math class for 40 minutes. Well, he's probably not going to be an accountant then. Let him play. Amen. So it's good, it's good to have too much energy, and it's good to have an excessive amount of faith. Now, you can have something that's not faith, that disguises itself as faith, but when it comes to Bible faith, how can you have too much of anything that's a righteous thing? Could you ever be hyper-righteous? Could you be too righteous? No. Could you be too blessed? No. Could you be too joyful? I mean, some people would think so, but not me. You can't have too much joy. Any of the good things that God provided in his word, you can't go overboard on it. You can be, on, you can be a phony. I'm just, by my faith, I'm saying that I'm going to own all of the natural gas in all of Texas. You're stupid. You, don't, you can't even pay your power bill. So you're, just, you're, you're not there. You're just fake. And we've all been around people like that. The devil uses people like that to try to thwart the move of God. Because then you just look at some idiot. But I'm going to tell you what Dr. Lester Summerall said. I'd rather put up with some wildfire than have no fire at all. In every revival, there's some lunatics that, that, that sneak in that went off their medication or whatever and need help. But you don't let those three people or whoever they are mess up the whole thing. They can be corrected. They can be thrown out of the service. But you never allow the people the enemy sends that pose as being faith people or pose as being Holy Ghost people, but are just nuts. You never let them thwart the whole thing. Because the most dangerous thing is not hyper faith. As I told you, that doesn't even exist. Jesus never rebuked someone for having too much faith. But he did rebuke people for having little or no faith. When that man said to Jesus, you don't even have to come to my home. Just say the word from where you are, because I can tell you're a man that's under authority. What did Jesus say? Hey, pump the brakes. All right. I said, I'll come to your home. You can't just be telling me to say something from right here. No, Jesus actually did the exact opposite. He turned to the crowd and said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Then gave that word about how Gentiles will come down and sit in the seats that were reserved for the children of Abraham. Faith pleases God. There's a church in America. That's the name of the church. It's a good name for a church. Faith pleases God church. I like that down in, down in the Rio Grande Valley. Say out loud, faith pleases God. Somebody put um, something on Instagram about how much they enjoy me in a Dallas. And I said, she's the best thing I ever used my faith for. 
I was single. You can ask my sister in the front row. No prospects ever getting married. And I believed God for a wife, and God gave me a perfect wife. If you know even a little bit about me, if he had given me any other woman, we'd have been divorced in 21 days or so. But she, we don't, we don't, we don't fight. We used to. We don't really anymore. Sometimes we'll have spirited discussions and break furniture to emphasize points, but we never hit each other. Amen. She gave me a, a, he gave me a perfect wife. I used my faith for that. You know, when you get into this subject of faith, the main thing faith does is it starts getting you walking on the path of God. You can't be actively believing God for something and then going all around doing crazy stuff. When you start exercising your faith, and getting into the subject of faith, sin already takes a back seat because sin is unbelief acted out. If you believe Jesus is coming soon, that's called faith. If you have that faith active, you're not going to catch me in anybody else's bed this week or down at a bar drinking. There's not time anyway. I'm actively moving in a certain direction by my faith. That's one thing I had to learn in the ministry is I felt like you needed to like kind of yell at people about sin and what they're doing wrong to get them to stop doing it. But that's not actually how it works. The Bible says, focusing all my energies on one thing, forgetting those things that are behind. Everybody say, forget the past. But God didn't just give you that thing to do. You can't run from sin your whole life. You can't run from a memory. You can't try to not be an addict. You slam the door on your past in sin, but then there's a second thing, focusing on that which lies ahead. The faith message is a message that gets people to focus that God has a high place for you in life. And if you'll stay in his word, walking out his word, walking in the light of the word, it shows you a tomorrow to point your hope at and to exercise your faith to get it. And so when you start teaching faith, and it comes alive in people's hearts. They automatically, you cannot mention one thing about adultery or drinking. They'll just catch themselves not doing those things anymore. Because now the faith is pointing them in a godly direction, marking out a straight path for their feet and staying straight. Can you say amen? Pastor Steve has his faith. Anybody can talk about faith. But faith has proofs. Pastor Steve's faith has proofs. There's a building going up, debt-free, cash. No help from anybody. That's faith. Now, in doing that, his whole life now is wrapped around the furtherance of his ministry. There's no, you know, during lockdown. How come Pastor Steve during lockdown didn't do what 95% of Canadian pastors did? Get vaccinated and go down to Florida until the lockdown lifts and come back and tell the people you people can fend for yourselves. Because his faith is active in the thing God called him to do. So you can't just run here and there. You're, it puts you dead center in the will of God by faith. Can you say amen? So faith actually will cover all of the things. It'll keep you walking holy because you walk holy by faith. It'll keep you accomplishing things for the Lord because you won't accomplish anything for the Lord outside of faith. When you understand faith from the Bible, and the second thing you're going to get today, not just an understanding, this week there's going to be an impartation of the gift of faith. It's going to come into every man. It's going to come into every woman. That gift called faith is going to cause you to do with ease what you used to not 
not be able to do at all. You'll just look back and say, wow, look what the Lord has done. Faith is participating with God's power to receive what is humanly impossible. That's coming into your possession today in the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe it, go ahead. Take 15 more seconds. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Somebody say faith. Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Well, when God's ready, I'm ready. That's not how it works. When you're ready, God's been ready before you were born. All these things, all these precious promises are already laid out. The Bible says he prepares a table for you. He's prepared a banquet. And faith is what causes you to grab a chair, and instead of being back here your whole life, say, no, I'm going to go sit at the table that God made, and I'm going to eat everything that he's put on that table in Jesus' name. That's what faith is. I'm not waiting for life to happen to me. I'm going to start using my faith like a weapon to cause life to line up with the word of God. I'm not hoping my children serve the Lord. By faith, I'm doing the commands of scripture. I'm walking in the word. My house will serve the Lord. I'm not hoping my marriage works out. I'm using my faith to align, to align my house with God's covenant. Genesis chapter 18, 19. Abraham is called the father of our faith. And God tells us something interesting about Abraham. Genesis 18, 19. I know I can trust my servant Abraham, uh, for he will command his family to keep the way of the Lord after me. So Abraham, the father of our faith, didn't just use his faith to get a child at 99. Abraham used his faith to command his family and his household to keep the way of the Lord. Faith, I mean, there's nothing. If you start going in the Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, there's a lot. People say, well, you've got to use your faith in line with the Bible. There's a lot in that Bible. Has the, there's a lot about land ownership. There's a lot about Deuteronomy 8, after you have built fine homes to live in. There's a lot about building a temple for the Lord and a place for people to worship. There's faith gives you the ability not only to overcome in life, but to live in a constant state of victory. That's when you preach that, they call that the faith message. <laughs> and a lot of Pentecostal people don't like the faith message. They like God's sovereignty. Revival will come sovereignly, but it doesn't. You read any revival, God never sovereignly sent one. Somebody got fed up with what was going on in their country and said, Lord, anoint me and use me to bring your power to an area. Any kind of doctrine that causes you to wait on God is not scriptural. What did Jesus say to the woman with the issue of blood when she grabbed his robe? Hey, it's not my time. You can't just come up and grab me whenever you want. Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. You don't have to wait on God. God's actually waiting to see what man or woman will get a hold of faith from his word and turn it loose to affect change in their generation. And I believe I'm looking at many men and women right now that by the close of this week, there's going to be something bubbling up on the inside of you, a substance the Bible calls faith. And it's going to cause you to become strong and do exploits for God. Can you say amen? No one here and nobody watching online will live a small life. 
No one's going to have to make up stuff at your funeral or use pat lines. His smile could light up a room. Her smile could light up a room. There's going to be actual things that you brought to Canada that, that nobody ever brought before by your faith. Many of the old mainline preachers and churches have been completely cleared off the map. They will never come back. I promise you, they're ne you're never going to see them again. They, God was displeased with them. They, they, you know, I'm not going to go into all the COVID stuff and the missteps people made. But they're not small things. And that's why they're empty. I don't know how people can't see facts. If my church, which had 571 people yesterday... If next year it had 91 and the year after that it had 43, I want to be, I, I, I would, I would, <laughs> I would have serious questions about me because the leader makes it happen. So you can sit around with 13 people and have them turn the lights down low and pretend there's people there. So have it dark that you can't see how empty it is. Or you can face facts that if Jesus is the head of the church and he's not sending any sheep your way, there's a problem. Then on the flip side, you have a church like this. Say this with me. Separation, Separation. of tares and wheat. I know I'm going to preach on tonight, so let me make a note so I don't forget. Separation of tares and wheat. I got auto-corrected to separation of tates and wheat because Apple doesn't know the Bible. Somebody say separation of tares and wheat. Now, that's what happened these last two years. And so if you want to focus on the negative, there's a lot of people that got cleared out. There's churches in America that are 8,000 seeders that used to be packed on Sunday. When I say used to be packed, I'm talking three years ago. And if you look at the pictures now, there's about 600 there's another church, uh, two I'm thinking of. One is 8,000, has about 800 on a Sunday morning. They were closed every Sunday, but open for vaccinations on, on Monday through Friday. And it's, it's over. And then there's another church, same thing, about an 8,000-seater. I would say on a Wednesday night, they now have about 140 people in 8,000 seats. That's the Lord showing you he's, he doesn't like you anymore. You've irritated him. And so that, that's what that is. When you tell people it's unsafe to gather to worship the Lord, but then have the same crowd come in to get vaccinations and take money from the government to have your church do that, you, you are on your way to hell. And I'm not speaking strongly. I'm telling you the truth. You'll answer to God for that. Can you say amen? But let's focus on the positive. The tears got cleared out. When I was at Dr. Rodney's um, this last week for Ministers and Leaders Conference, there's normally about 3,000 people that register for that meeting. There was just under 6,000 that registered. And when he had me come up and speak three nights, when I looked over the crowd, I could see um, pastors from the Assemblies of God that hadn't been there in a long time, that were there. Some were now affiliating their churches. Uh, I saw Baptist pastors. There was a Southern Baptist pastor there. It's interesting how this thing worked. That when COVID hit, and the government lockdowns came, no one cared about Baptist or Catholic or anything. There was open and closed. And the open pastors found each other. In fact, I preached at a Southern Baptist church two or three weeks ago. Southern Baptist. 
I don't know if you know about Southern Baptist. They think people like me are demon possessed. I'm telling you the truth. In Southern Baptist doctrine, anyone that speaks in other tongues, that gift died with the last apostle. So if you see anybody doing it right now, they're demon possessed. So how does a pastor ask me to come and speak at his church for extended meetings in that denomination? Because he decided that churches, he, he's a Baptist. Baptists know the Bible. The Bible says you should be meeting together more often instead of less often as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So when they told the church to shut down in New Hampshire, he said, I'm not. Then his Southern Baptist denomination called him and said, you need to shut your church down or we're going to take your credentials. You know what's interesting? They called me, a preacher like me is called an independent because I'm not a member of a major denomination. I'm, 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 I'm affiliated. I'm ordained with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, which is turning in to a large denomination. But uh, they call you independent. You know what used to be the knock against independence? Well, if the government ever rises up against the church, you're just going to be out there twisting in the wind by yourself. There's safety if there's a lot of churches in a big organization. But when they told churches to knock the lockdown, every major denomination in Canada told their ministers that if they don't do it, they'll lose their credentials. PAOC on down the line. So if your own people, it's one thing when you have the government turn against you, but then when you've got a bunch of turncoats as your leaders that say, no, do what the government's telling you, you are by yourself. So that's what happened to him, Southern Baptist. No, we backed the government, shut your church down. Well, if you decided to keep your church open and your denominations turned against you and the government's turned against you, some of your board and your church has turned against you. Well, what you want is to find someone who's crazier than you. You think, man, these people think I'm crazy. Maybe there's someone who's more nuts than me and then I won't feel crazy which inevitably led people to me on a program called Check the News. And then you could turn me on every night and go, hey, I'm not crazy after all. Or I might be a little crazy, but I'm not eating crayons crazy like this guy throwing, throwing cans of soda at the camera and everything. And so this guy finds me on Check the News. He finds Pastor Rodney, and he starts listening to us. And he, before he knows it, he accidentally gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, keeping his church open, and then has us up, up there to preach. So I'm saying that because everybody says separation, separation of tares and wheat. But I'm focusing on the positive. I can see as of last week how the Lord, there's a gathering of people that have not bowed to Baal and kissed his face. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't know that. You know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't know that they were buddies. They might have been the only three guys that when the music played, stood, and then when they all got called together before the king, you know, when you're getting persecuted, you make friends fast. Can you say amen? You're in the same boat. And God took what the devil meant for evil and turned it for good. Where now you have, though there's churches that were once strong that are empty, there's now ones that are growing and multiplying as people that stood for Jesus all found each other. And I'm going to tell you what's happening right now. We're in a room like that right now. Some of you that are watching online fit that mold. Tonight the place is going to be like it was last night, full again of people from different provinces and ethnic backgrounds and everything else that share one thing in common. They made up their mind. I don't care what happens between now and the rapture. I don't care what it costs me. I will never bow to Baal and I'll never kiss his face. Well, what happened in 2 Chronicles 20? When the people stood in the temple when they were being attacked, 
The Lord sent the Holy Ghost to, uh, through a man to give a word. When that man gave the word, it strengthened the king and it strengthened the people. There's a scripture said, or Jesus said to a church, I will strengthen that which remains. That's what the Lord's doing this week, among other things. You stood, you stood the test, and now a strengthening is coming to the body of Christ in Montreal and Canada. Big, strong churches will be raised up in Canada that are a major frustration to the devil from now till when Jesus comes. You're not going to watch it happen. You are going to be a part of it happening in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe that again, one more time, put those hands together. Let the Lord know he's got a remnant in Montreal that's ready to stand, ready to fight, and ready to be strengthened. If you believe it, shout, I receive it. Yeah, there's a gathering. And I was standing on the platform in uh, Tampa. All different people. I knew a lot of them. And you could just tell they shared all that in common. I'm done with this world. And I'm holding on to the cross and I'm going to advance the cause of Christ. And if you're going to advance, if you're going to do anything for God, you can only do it by faith. Real faith. It takes faith to believe God. It takes faith to do something for the Lord. That building that's going up over there takes faith to do that cash, no loans. Would take a measure of faith to do it with a loan. But to do it cash and have the money in the bank, all contracts signed, that's faith. And to do it during the COVID lockdowns and a recession, that shows you that faith doesn't give a care what's going on on the outside. Faith works in spite of the economy. Faith works in, in spite of whatever health conditions there are in the world. Faith, we used to sing a song growing up in church, me and my sister. Faith turns the night into the day. Love drives the doubts and fears away. Faith affects change. Faith will make uh, water spring up in a desert. By faith, Moses led the people out of, out of Egypt and they were fed by manna. Uh, food just came down. Faith will affect tangible things. Faith is not a refuge to run to when times are hard. Faith is not keeping a good attitude through the storms of life. Faith is not thinking positive thoughts. You know, you hear people, I'm going through a hard time, but I, 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 all I have is my faith. I'm just going to hold on to my faith. I don't know what they're talking about. Faith's not something that you just retreat to. Faith, say this out loud. Faith, faith. is an action. Say this. Faith, faith. is a verb. Faith is taking action on the word of God. So faith is not something you cling to. It's not an anchor. I was taught this growing up. Is the sound on the same setting as last night? I didn't think so. Remember how I complimented how good the sound was last night? If you could keep it exactly like that and not change it, that would be awesome. Say, say this out loud. Faith deals with reality. It's not a refuge to run from problems. Jesus, by faith, when he was going through a storm, and this is what I got ready to say before I uh, made negative comments to the sound team. I said, uh, they taught us, how many know our faith is an anchor in the storms of life? So, uh, oh, there it is. Thank you. Yeah, remember we had that conversation last night, Carlos, and I said, let's keep it exactly the same. It was perfect. And you nodded your head and said, we're going to keep it exactly the same. Then you, you bamboozled me for no reason. I don't even understand. I've been nothing but kind to everybody. Just shows you, never be nice to anyone. Anyway, say this out loud. Faith is not an anchor in the storms of life. When Jesus was going through a storm, what did he do? 
Did he say, guys, hold on to me, and he anchored them in the storm? No, by faith, he went out and spoke to the wind and spoke to, to the water and commanded it to be still. He rebuked the wind and spoke to the water to be still. And immediately, everybody say immediately. The Bible says a mega calm came upon the water. That, in other words, Peter had never seen the sea that stormy. And as soon as Jesus spoke, he had never seen it that calm. That took place in the same day. How people take that story to mean, how I many you know sometimes we go through stormy seasons? He wasn't there for the entirety of autumn. He said, we're going to the other side. A storm arose. He rebuked the storm in the same day, and they went over to the other side. Don't get a faith for stormy seasons. Get a faith for seasons of blessing, increase, and overflow that are continual from now until the coming of the Lord. Come on, if you receive that, boy, what a great group of people to preach to. Praise the Lord. Somebody shout, praise the Lord. So say it out loud. Faith's not an anchor in the storms of life. Faith destroys storms. Yeah, my, storms aren't allowed to dictate my life. Jesus didn't let them dictate his life. Jesus had said on the other shore, we are going to the other side. A storm came up to prevent that from happening. Jesus spoke to the storm and commanded it to go, and they went to the other side. That's the life of faith. You don't let storms chart your course. You chart your course. What did Jesus say? I only do what I see my father do. I only see, say what I see my father say. The father's will was to go to the other side. So if the father shows you the course of your life and a storm rises up, you don't say Christian jargon. Well, how many know sometimes God closes a door? No, God's not schizophrenic. He doesn't tell you to walk through a door and then slam it in your face. If the Lord tells me to go to that wall and something comes to prevent me from going to that wall, I know it's not God. I know it must be my enemy. And I also know I've been given authority over all the power of the devil to make that thing subdue and come in line with the will of God. Can you say amen? So whether it's cancer, whether it's depression, whether it's financial lack, whether it's a storm in your family where you're one kid that you raised and you raised them in church just like the other two, but they're, they're different now. They're getting angry, slamming their door. They're not the same kid, won't participate in, in the worship service. It doesn't matter how the storm manifests. Every woman I'm looking at right now, every man I'm looking at right now, by faith, you have the capacity to overcome, not some, not most of the time, Every storm of life. Yeah, I will always make you the head and never the tail. I tell you again, the last defeat that you suffered will be the last defeat you ever suffer. And whatever's going wrong right now, I see it turning around for your good in the name of Jesus Christ. So rejoice and be glad for the Lord has given you the victory. If you believe it, shout I receive it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Now that we've done that introduction on faith. Hebrews 11. If you're going to define terms out of the Bible, I like to define them by what the Bible says. Faith is stepping out on nothing and finding something there. That's not a scripture. That's like a precious moments poster. But it's not in the Bible. So if you're going to define what faith is, why not define it the way the Bible defines it? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith, if, if you would, um, I don't know if you have the ability to do it, and I've already been super hard on the media team this morning. Canceled out all my compliments from last night. 
So now there's weirdness between us. But if you can, and I won't get upset if you can, if you can get it in the Amplified Classic, because uh, I have it in the NLT, but then I'd like to have it in that other translation. By the way, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to Christianity, and you see different Bible translations, you say, well, what, what is the, the Bible? Well, it should be easiest to understand in Montreal of anywhere that you can't get one language to go exactly to another. You know, doesn't work. I married a Puerto Rican uh, lady by accident. I didn't know she was Puerto Rican. I just knew she was curvy. And then I found out later she's Puerto Rican. So we got married and then I found out there's this other language, Spanish, and some stuff doesn't translate. Some stuff is difficult. You know, my wife will get mad sometimes or say something. She'll say this word, she's a, and say this word in Spanish. I'll say, what does that mean? It's hard to say in English. <laughs> and so there's some stuff that doesn't come across the same in a different language. And here people know a lot of languages. Most of you know Italian, French, and English. And sometimes when you get mad, you like to say a certain word in Italian because it really conveys it from your heart better. In traveling and preaching, I can tell you that there's no language that expresses love like French. And there's no language to use to cast a devil out like German. So when you take from one language to another, it's different. So I don't want you to get confused. Well, how come it says that in that version and this one another? So the Amplified Classic draws out some of the meaning from the Greek that's, that's more flowery. So the Bible says here, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the, shows the reality of what we hope for and is the evidence of things we cannot see. So Amplified Classic. Now faith is the assurance. Faith is what? You know, they said, they gave the doctor, gave a bad report, but I'm just believing. You don't seem, say this out loud, hope is not faith. There's a difference between hoping you're going to get better and having an assurance from God's word that you're healed. There's a difference when you're assured about something. Faith has an assurance. If you ever meet, and, and I've had the privilege, and I mean it's a privilege, to meet some great men of God who are men of faith. They're not shaking their heads. You know, you meet Bishop David Oyedepo that has the largest church on planet Earth. He's the calmest, smilingest, coolest guy you'd ever meet with a billion dollar ministry. Just walking with one hand in the pocket. Hi, how are you? Creflo Dollar came to tour his ministry in the 90s and was blown away because he knew there was a 400 to one exchange rate. From the, and he thought, this guy's built a, a, a complex. They have 10,000 acres, I think 12,000 now. They have a saying there that at that ministry, buildings grow faster than trees. Two universities, I'm talking universities, full universities, an agriculture school and a liberal arts university, a Bible college, a 50,000 seat church. They're building a 109,000 seat church right now and paying cash. You meet that guy, he's not, oh, it's not that. He's assured the Lord's doing it. The Lord's carried me thus far and he'll carry me the rest of the way as I continue to take action on the word. So faith is not some panic. Uh, you know, we need faith. How I many know we need? It's, that's not faith. Faith is an assurance that God will do what he said he'll do and that God has done what he said he's done. Amen. amen. Can you say it better? Amen. amen. Now faith, here's how the Bible defines it. Faith is the assurance the confirmation, the title deed. You know, 
If you're like me, then if you go to buy a house or some land, you want to go see it before you buy it. But if you get to the place that some real estate moguls are in, where they're going to go buy a hotel in Scotland and they don't feel like going to Scotland. So they buy it, somebody sends them the deed and they've never seen it, but they know they own it because they have the deed. That's what the word of God is for life. If God said this belongs to me and I have it in his covenant, signed by the blood of his son, not signed on black ink, on letterhead and notarized, signed by, ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ, then I don't care who says I don't own it or don't have it. I have an assurance and a title deed that what God said I have, I have. Everybody say, I have it. Not I'm trying to get it. Not I'm just believing in the devil. No, no devil. I don't want to hear about any devil. He's too small to be consulted. Faith is the title deed. Anybody watch my Sunday morning service last night? Or yesterday, 10 a.m. in Pittsburgh? Of course not. You were here in church. I preached on power over the devil. Gave an altar call for people to get saved. Prayed the sinner's prayer. When I prayed the sinner's prayer, one lady fell over backwards. And then bared her teeth and started to growl. Kofi called me on the way to the plane and said, when she walked into the service, as soon as she walked into the sanctuary part, she passed out. They had to help her back up. She's fooled the devil. So I had just preached an eight-point message on power over the devil. She's laying on the ground on Sunday morning. I have to get to the plane. I was done. To tell you the truth, I was checked out of the service. I gave the altar call, prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm getting ready to hand the mic over for announcements. And she, I mean, no one I have a flight to catch. The devil's no respect. Bears her teeth and goes. And when she did that, I looked up at the crowd and said, it looks like today is going to be an illustrated sermon. And I bent down, and I've learned a few things about casting out devils out of the air. Especially, I'm glad it wasn't, you know, if it was 24-year-old me, I'd have missed my flight. Let him growl, you come out, I'm not coming out, all that. But now I know how to do things in a timely manner. So, you know, when the devil takes over, she's still there. So I cupped her hand in my head, got down on one knee, and she's growling. I said, hey, look at me, her. I said, no growling. You unclean spirit, come out. Don't growl. No manifestation. Just leave. It was like if you throw somebody out of your house. I don't want to hear a speech on the way out. Out. And so, out the spirit went. And she said, thank you. And if you saw the picture, she wouldn't let go of me. I hugged her. And then I went to let go. And she was still hugging. And, you know, then with all the Harvey Weinstein stuff, you don't want to be doing that for too long. Because it's just a weird political climate right now. So I went to let go again. And she went, I don't want to let go. She's like, I'm better. I feel all the way better. And she was skin and bones. I knew that, that demon that was in her, she, could, she couldn't keep food down and eat. And I said, no, go have a big meal and pray and prayed for her. And she got delivered. Power over the devil. You don't have to put up with, that, that took, I did all that in about 15, 17, 22 seconds in there. You don't have to, that was an actual demon. I'm not, and that's in somebody else's life. My life? No chance. Come on, I'm doing my best. This is as hard as I can go. So, uh, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm glad you're here. Montreal or from out of, out of town? Well, that's you. Nicola? Yeah. Oh, speaking of hugs. You are my, like, buddy. Great to see you. you. And you. Nice to see you again. Man, last time I saw that, when was that? Four or five years ago. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Shout away. Now that I know it's you, it makes me even happier. Give my friend Nicola from, that came all the way from Toronto a big hand clap. I didn't recognize you with a hat on. You look like a witness protection program. So you don't, say this out loud. I don't have to put up with the devil's mess. 
So I don't want to hear any blaming of the devil. The devil's already under your feet. Well, the devil, you know, I would a devil what? Devil's attacking. How do you get attacked by somebody under your feet? It's like getting attacked by your first floor neighbor. He's got a roof to go through. He can't do it. The devil's, I'm not putting him. He can flare up. He can growl. You know, even then, what did that demon do? Well, why don't you bite? You don't bite. Oh, great, you have teeth. You can make snake noises. We're all proud of you. That's all the devil does, make noise. You know, you have de- I've had demon spirits. Like, I'm, I'm a thousand years old. Congratulations. Would you like me to take you to a birthday party and get you some ice cream cake? Out. Read about Goliath. Goliath ran his mouth for 40 days and 40 nights. But when someone actually confronted him by faith, he was dead in less than one paragraph. I prophesy in the name of Jesus, every infringement of the devil against your life and family comes to an end today in Jesus' name. If you believe that, clap those hands one more time. All right, let me see that in the Amplified Classic again. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. Well, this, this verse I'll probably just end here today since we have the whole week. And there's a lot in this verse. There's certain verses in the Bible, especially in the Amplified Classic, that are, that are tough to get all the way through. This verse is so loaded. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. So let's deal with that. I had you say it before. I'm going to have you say it again. Say, hope is not faith. Hope is the architectural drawing for the thing, and faith is what builds the house. So what I mean by that is this. Obviously, if they diagnosed you that you have a tumor in your stomach, you want that tumor gone. Wouldn't matter what denomination you are or an atheist or whatever. Nobody hears they have a tumor and is glad they have it. So if they told you you had a tumor in your stomach, you would hope that that goes away, either from the treatments being successful or whatever else. You'd have that hope. But hope doesn't have any basis. Hope is just hope. If, someone, if you say, man, I'm hoping that tumor goes away. And you said, somebody said, give me three reasons why it will. Well, I can. I'm just, you know, fingers crossed, hoping. Hope doesn't have substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, if someone diagnosed me with a tumor in my stomach, which isn't going to happen, for the sake of example, somebody, uh, somebody diagnosed some imaginary guy named Fred with a tumor in his stomach. And that guy, Fred didn't know the Bible and he hopes he gets better, then he has substanceless hope. He just hopes. I hope I won the lottery. I hope I get a house. I hope I find the right girl. You meet people, they hope. They're full of hope, but their hope doesn't have any substance because faith is what gives substance to hope. But if Fred gets diagnosed with a tumor in his stomach and he knows the pillars of healing from the Bible, that by his strengths 2,000 years ago, I was healed, that the Bible says, I mean, what, what scriptures do you want to run through? Psalm 91, with long good life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. And now, as he starts piecing the word together, his hope to be healed is now filled with substance because he has a substance to base that hope with. If I'm hoping to get a house one day, that's a great hope. But if I don't know the word on it, then I'm just hoping. But if my family's expanding, we just had our third child, and we're out of room, and we're in an apartment, I can hope I get a house, but hope's not going to get the job done. But if I know the Bible says he puts the godly in homes, 
The righteous shall possess the land. Deuteronomy 8, uh, uh, after you have built fine homes to live in. If I know that the first gift God ever gave man was land and everybody God made a covenant with, he turned land over to them, Abraham, Noah, Moses, uh, on down the line. Then I now have a substance for my hope where I'm not just hoping. I have the word and faith gives substance to my hope. So hope is not, I'm believing, 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 B-E-L-I-E-V-I-N apostrophe. That's not faith. It's not believing something's going to happen. It's an assurance that the word of God says it's mine and I hold the title deed for it. Now, whether you know it or not, and many of you do know it, in this Bible, you hold a title deed to a long life that's sickness free. I will take sickness and disease out of your, turn, turn, I'm getting a lot of blank stares, so I won't just quote it. Go to Exodus 23. Go to Exodus 15, then we'll go to Exodus 23. Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the coast of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. D.O. Moody, the great Baptist pastor, said that wood is a type of the cross. He showed him a piece of wood. Now remember, the water's got bacteria and other garbage in it that's making it where you can't drink it. They're, and it must have been bad because they're thirsty after traveling in the desert for several days with no water. Finally, I go, ugh, I'm dying of thirst and I can't drink that. Well, if you know anything about water purification, you don't purify water by throwing a stick in it. If you hire someone to come to your house because your well's been polluted and they go, I got you. All right, should be good now. You're going to get that guy committed to the mental institution. So this was a supernatural thing that God showed Moses a piece of wood. Moses threw the wood into the water, and this made the water good or sweet or pleasant to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard. It was an object lesson to test his faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not allow you to suffer any of the diseases that came on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Let me see, uh, let me see 25 in, in the Amplified Classic. Twenty. Sorry, I might have given you the wrong verse. 26. Oh, that was the end of 26. All right. You which I brought. Oh, is that all the way at the beginning of 26? All right, thanks. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, you have your part to play. So when God's ready, if God, if you will diligently hearken, that word hearken in the Bible, I could best illustrate by when I um, graduated Bible school, my parents were knew they were supposed to be proud of me, so they wanted to do something to, to reward me. They said, you can do whatever you want to celebrate and we'll pay for it. So me and my friend from Bible school went skydiving. 
I found out if you go skydiving, they strap a guy to your back and you have to jump together. Well, that was in no way appealing to me. So I said, what steps have to be taken so I don't have to have some strange dude tied to my back? And they said, well, you're going to have to take an extra set of classes if you're going to jump yourself. So instead of a four-hour class, it was an eight-hour class. Well, knowing I was going to jump out of a plane by myself, what's the difference between hearkening and listening? In algebra class and biology class, I listened. In skydiving class, I hearkened. Repeat that again. Also repeat the thing before again. Because if I mess up, I'm dead. You know, I know they try to tell you you won't be dead. The, the instructor actually said, I still remember because I hearkened. So 21 years later, I can still tell you what he said. If your chutes don't open, there, we were jumping over Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Don't, I know you think you could land in the water, but don't land in the water because at that speed, it, it, it's just like hitting the ground. And I raised my hand and said, but hitting the ground is actually hitting the ground. So I don't understand your logic there. <laughs> you know, I'm going to bounce off the concrete. Oh, glad I missed that lake. It's like hitting the ground. So anyway, I, I hearken. So the Bible's not something to just listen to. It's something to study and hearken. What is my part to play to walk in the will of God? Can you say Amen. I told my church two Sundays ago, I said, if I wasn't a pastor and I wasn't an evangelist and I wasn't a minister and I was never going to preach in my whole life, it would in no way affect the amount of time or attention I give to the Bible. I'm telling you, because actually, <laughs> I don't know that I really prepare messages anymore. The Lord gives me messages. My interest in the Bible has only to do with me, my wife, my child, and my endeavors. So if I was running a business, I would want to know what the Bible has to say about business. So I was telling them, I'm not giving attention to the Bible because I'm a pastor. I'm, I, would, I promise you, because I, I like it. I like, like, it's my thing for living. It, it shows me. It's what took me from a negative bank account to, to, to millions of dollars and buying land and property and 32 employees. This book did it. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So this wasn't a command given to Moses and the future priesthood. It was given to everybody. If you're a mother, this book will make you a super mother. If you're a father, this will make you a super father. If you're in business, it'll anoint your head to become super in business. This Bible transforms ordinary men into heroes in their generation. That transformation is taking place on the inside of you today. This week, you're going to emerge from this week a star in your generation in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, can you shout hallelujah? If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, and listen to and obey his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Let me see Exodus 23, 25. Exodus 23, 25. You shall serve the Lord your God. He shall bless your bread and water. You know, they're poisoning the food. They sure are. But I have a promise. That w that's why we, one of the reasons we pray before we eat, two reasons. You give thanks to God for the food. And you ask him to bless it. We used to pray, bless it and nourish it to our bodies. 
My grandfather, A.E. Shuttlesworth, used to pray, nourish it to our bodies, our bodies to your service. I'll bless your bread and water. If you ever preach for a word of faith, Pastor, they'll pray this uh, exactly because that's how Brother Hagin prayed for his meals. Father, I thank you that as we serve you, you bless our bread and water and take sickness and disease out of our midst. So I'm not worried, you know, I'm not going to grill the waitress every day about uh, where the chicken came from. Was this chicken caged or free range? I don't know. I'm 19. I'm trying to get through school. Uh, I just checked with the chef. It's a free range chicken. Can I have a list of the chicken's daily activities? Were they running it or was it sitting still? So then by the time, even if you get a free range chicken that's organic and no GMOs and all that, you've so ticked the waitress off that she spits in your food. So you might as well just learn to trust God. Can you say amen? amen. Can you say a better amen? amen? If you serve the Lord, look at these benefits. Do you know there's benefits for serving the Lord? Pentecostals are great at telling people that there's curses for not serving the Lord. You're cursed if you don't tithe. Adultery is a curse. It's all true. But why focus on the curse when you can focus on the blessing? Because if you get people drunk enough on the blessing and give them enough of a desire for the blessing, the parting away from sin is automatic. Can you say amen? You shall serve the Lord your God. Everybody say, I will. And if you do, he will bless your bread and water. And I will take sickness away from your midst. Listen to that. That's not all heal you when you get sick. That's I won't allow you to get sick in the first place. I'm preaching two times a day, a, a day this week. I don't have time to have a bout with sickness and then use my faith to get healed from it. I have to have health. Go to 26. There's more. None of you shall lose her young by miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Then if you're a Christian, you say, yeah, but I've miscarried. Well, you have grounds now to say, I never will again. I'll have as many children as I want and carry them to term because the Bible says that you can. It's not a hope. It's, it's substance to your hope. So the last two years, when you have even full gospel people telling you, as an evangelist, you need to be careful. You're going to lay your hands on people. You're going to get sick. That's how COVID spread. You need to not do that. And, and you think, Lord, what should I do? I'm not hoping, well, I'm going to travel anyway. I'm just going to hope the Lord keeps me well. No, I have Exodus 15, 26, and I have Exodus 23, 25. That as I preach sickness and disease, as I serve the Lord in the thing he told me to do, sickness and disease is going to be kept out of my midst. Turn to Psalm 91. Amen. Psalm 91. Say it so the devil can hear you. My hope has substance. Say, that substance is the promises of God. You don't have blind hope. I have scriptural assurance. Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He is my God and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from what? Well, I know you guys believe in healing. You know, we all do. We're Christians. We're preachers. But this is different. COVID's a deadly disease. I know. That's covered in the Bible. God didn't say, I'll keep you away from the light ones and then the heavy ones. You're on your own. I'll, not, I'll protect you. He said, I'll take all sickness out of your midst in Exodus 23, 25. You have a scripture for that. I expect to not be sick anymore. Ever. And if something ever comes to violate that, it makes me angry. Because it's unscriptural and I rise against it. That's the other thing about this. 
You'll never have the proper anger to throw the devil out of your affairs until you understand this. See, if you don't understand what I'm preaching, then one of your kids stops serving the Lord when they're 14 and you go, well, you know, this day and age, everything that's being taught in schools and the media, that's normal. You don't have an expectation, a confident assurance that what the Bible says can happen. When you understand that the Bible is my covenant with God, no one is allowed to violate it, then any time the enemy tries to make an infringement on that, listen to this, this is where a lot of people lose it in faith because they'll come out of my meeting and hear all that, and I don't have to be sick again. Then the next time they get the sniffles, well, I guess that doesn't work really. No, the devil is a thief. Jesus said so. Thieves by their very nature go where they're not allowed to go, attempt to take what doesn't belong to them, but by the shield of faith, you now tell the devil, I don't know whose home you think you're in, but this house, we're in covenant with God. You're not gonna have my marriage, you're not gonna have my family, you're not gonna have my children, and you're not gonna have this body. I am healed, and you're not taking that from me in Jesus' mighty name. And until the proper understanding of that, what you're receiving today, by the grace of God comes into you, you never have the right violence in your spirit against things that are wrong. When that woman growled at me, I made a joke to keep it light for the crowd. On the inside, I was burning. Who does this demon think it is to take this woman that Jesus died for? I'm going to throw your hind end out of this room now. I'm going to, oh Lord, we bless her. You know, I saw somebody having a panic attack one time at the end of one of my meetings. She was a youth leader. It was at a youth camp in Pennsylvania. I just preached for two hours. The air conditioning was broken because it was an Assemblies of God summer camp and the, the air conditioning was always broken. So it was like 110 in there, you know, packed room with sweaty kids. I preached for two hours. I looked like I jumped in a pool. Then I laid hands on every kid, 500 kids. I was done. And I was on a 21-day fast because I was getting ready to do a big crusade. So when I finished, I was finished. And I walked to the back and sat down. Typical, in typical Assemblies of God fashion, someone said, can I get prayer? I said, I just prayed for everyone. I'm not like saving my best prayers for back in the back. Can I have prayer? Not for me. My youth leader is having a panic attack. So I look over, this, this girl is in a full-blown panic attack. <laughs> you know, like a demonic one. And I, I said, she's your youth leader? Yeah. I said, are you a youth pastor? Yes. You went to Bible college for four years? Yeah. You do it. I'm done. Aren't you a minister? A Pentecostal minister? Not an Episcopalian or Church of England. Like an actual minister. Go, go, you go do it. So he did what people do when you He's hurt. And this girl's in a full out demonized panic attack and he comes up from behind. That, the assemblies of God, I don't know where they got that from. They never lay hands on people from the front. You go to the altar and the people, like 91 people come behind you and just start rubbing your shoulder. It's not in the Bible. And uh, I don't like it. One time they invited people to the altar for prayer. I'm just saying this because I hear my sister laughing. So if it makes her laugh, I'll keep going. So they invited people to the altar to pray. So I go to the altar and kneel down and pray. And I just start feeling this. And I'm like, what the heck? Is this like one of these ladies from the casino that you can get, give, give you a back massage while you're playing pie gal? So I'm like, when I feel it, I'm like, please be a dollars. 
or at least be a lady. But no, I turn around and it's some dude. Maybe it was that skydiving instructor still irritated that didn't get to be tied to my back. So I turn around, some guy I've never met in my life rubbing my shoulder. And I went, what are you doing? That's not the laying on of hands. That's not, that's, that's, stop. <laughs> that's low, that's third degree assault in some states. I said, what are you doing? He went, I'm praying for you. I went, get your hand off my shoulder. He looked confused because that's been like accepted for a long time. Anyone that's praying, you have carte blanche to massage them. Hey, look, someone's praying. And I guess you're not supposed to like say anything. You just sit there and take it, but I don't like it. What was I talking about? Yes, thank you. Please come to all the meetings because I could use your help. So this guy, she's having a panic attack. Where do you get this in the Bible? He puts his hand on her shoulder and starts going like this. And he goes, peace, peace. And if you could see in the spirit, the demon was going, peace, peace. So there's things that are accepted that aren't in the Bible and they don't get a result. That's how you're dealing with that spirit. And G read Jesus cast out devils. He never rubbed anyone's back and said, peace, peace. He cried in a loud voice, come out of him. And immediately the spirit left. So when that guy did that, I was so doubly irritated. A, that he was a minister and didn't know what he was doing. And B, that that girl's suffering. And under that idiot that doesn't know what he's doing has to keep suffering. It, before I knew it, it stood me up. And I went over and I moved his hand. I said, move your hand before you get hurt. He's, he's lucky he didn't get hurt. There's demon spirits. If you start doing that, you're going to get punched. As soon as they figure out that you're some loser, they'll hurt you. I knocked his hand away and I put my hands on both sides of her head and I said, you spirit of fear, go in Jesus' name. She immediately went, just like the lady did yesterday. Then they hug you because they feel so glad they're free. Thank you. That always happens. That was the anointing stirring up that spirit and that's how it goes out. Well, what brought that up? I'm telling you how when you understand your covenant, if you don't understand it, you think divorce is normal. People will be happy to tell you it's normal. I guarantee you, I know people, I guarantee you, how old is Simeon? One or two? Three. Sorry, I'll be, I'll be a better uncle. Um, you sure he's three? You know one of my favorite things to do on the road? Because people, when you're an evangelist, they're always like concerned you're not spending enough time with your family. People go, how old's your daughter Camila now? I'll go, mm, I want to say between six and ten. And they get this look, look at their face like, oh my God. Hold on, you have a son? No. So S Simeon, Simeon's three. Now I can't put words in my sister's mouth. I guarantee you, she's already had people tell her at three or gu guaranteed with Stella. Oh, what a sweet girl. Wait till she turns 14, gets a boyfriend. People will start preparing you for sickness. First of all, what lunatic talks to parents like that? But they do, don't they? Your kid's four. Oh, wait till he grows up. <laughs> He, he's going to live a wild life. Hey, thanks for the prophecy, Beelzebub. <laughs> he scurries off. <laughs> I had tons of people tell me that about Camila. Well, your daughter really loves you. Wait till she grows up and gets a boyfriend. Who are you? Then they just vanish. <laughs> what, what, 
What would ever possess somebody to go tell somebody something like that about their kid? Now then think. But then if you go the other way, for example, por ejemplo, if I go outside of a Pentecostal church and I tell you to zip your jacket up because the weather's changed and you're going to get sick. No one bats an eye. But if you start telling people, you're going to have the healthiest year you've ever had. He's one of those faith guys. I don't like those people. Always talking blessing. Why is there no resistance to speaking poverty? It's going to be a bad year. If, if I got up, I know how to be a minister who has no controversy. I know. I could do it from now until Jesus comes. Get up. How many know the economy's bad? How many know many of us are going to have economic ups and downs? Amen. How many know sickness comes to all of us? How many know none of us are promised tomorrow we could die at any time and there'd be groaning? Amen. Mm. That's not in the Bible. The Bible tells you as a minister to declare the word of the Lord over the people. His word is not an unsure word. His word's not a word that works 80% of the time or 90% of the time. You have an obligation as a minister to tell people, yes, there are plagues. Yes, there is a bad economy. Yes, there is an attack coming on planet earth. But though you live in this world, you're not of this world. You have a covenant with God and you are blessed by the most High God who made the heavens and the earth. How things work for other people will not be how they go for you. Your marriage is blessed. Your children are blessed. You and your house shall serve the Lord. Your cup shall overflow because your head's anointed with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Stand on your feet, everybody. Somebody shout faith. It's not hoping for a better outcome. It's believing with all your heart that what God said is how things are going to be for me. And if you've missed it anywhere, somebody died in your family, something went south, don't build your theology around the tragedy. Build it on the word of God. Say, I don't know what went wrong, but that's not going to be my course of life from here till Jesus comes. I'm getting up from this thing stronger than I ever was before. I'm going to see the goodness of God while I'm yet in the land of the living. Come on, if that sounds like you, one more time, signal it to God. Clap your hands, all you people. Say it so the devil can hear you. I'm blessed. Say, I'm healed. Say, I'm protected. Say, long life belongs to me. I've been calling people on it. Not, not just Christians, anybody. Well, you need to have insurance, you know, and money put away because if something were to happen to you, you got to think about a Dawson Camila. Say, what's wrong with you? What do you mean? What do you mean if something will happen to me? I don't like being talked to like that. Who are you? I used to just be quiet. Now I, I, I verbally don't agree because I'm, I'm looking to live. But then God forbid you go sit with someone and say, hey, listen, Rory, you're going to live a long time. You and your wife are going to enjoy a long, fruitful marriage. You know, you know, he thinks everything works out, but things don't always work out. So you, take, you actually take abuse for preaching faith, and you get an easy run down the sideline if you preach unbelief, which lets me know what to preach. 
Because the reason there's no controversy for unbelief preachers is the devil is happy to have you spread your spiritual cancer vomited out of your mouth wherever you go. How many know life's hard? How many know storms come? How many know none of us are promised tomorrow? None of us are promised tomorrow because Jesus could come. But in lieu of the return of Christ, I am promised long life. You are promised long life. Put Psalm 91 verse 15 up. When they call on me, I will answer. Look at, watch this. Just watch these promises. That are just like if this was the only verse in the Bible, it'd be worth being a Christian. With, um, when they call on me, I'll answer. Say, when, my, when I pray, my prayers get answered. All you can do is throw up a prayer. No, when I call on God, he will answer my prayer. And if you read it in the Bible, he answers according to how you pray. <laughs> you know, my sister, you would never think this meeting her because she's super classy. But the one time we were in Sunday school, growing up, and they said, be careful what you ask God for because he'll give you the opposite. They were saying that because, like, if you say, God, I don't want to be a missionary, then God will make you a missionary to Africa. So, so, but, I mean, it's so stupid. Be careful what you ask the Lord for because he'll give you the opposite. That's not in the Bible. The woman with the issue of blood grabbed the hem of his garment, and instantly blood started to squirt out of her eyes and nose and mouth. <laughs> oh, you wanted to be free from that. Well, I'll give you the opposite. So when they said, be careful what you ask God for, He'll give you the opposite. Me and my sister in class start going, God, I pray that you never make me the most richest, powerful man in the world. <laughs> While tempting our fingers. <laughs> when they call on me, I will answer. Say it so the devil can hear you. I serve a prayer answering God. I'll be with them in trouble. Most people go missing when you're in trouble. God actually is attracted to trouble. I hey, I saw you're in trouble. Let me, let me come in. There's a guy that the Lord's put in my life like that this last year. Any kind of problem we have with the church, he doesn't go to the church. He's, he's got, he's stepped in between. I don't even understand people like that. I don't even like dealing with my own trouble. Let alone to go find people that are in trouble and like have a, have a go with them and, and on their behalf. But God's like that. I told him, you've got the same nature God has. You don't go, go missing when you're in trouble and then come back when you got it all together. I'll be with you in trouble. Lift both hands to the Lord and say it out of your mouth. Thank you, Father, that you're with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. And he's not with you just to be with you. He's with you to deliver you out of the trouble. Sometimes I just don't feel him there. Who cares what you feel? What are you for? You don't go by how you feel. You go by what the Bible says. Amen. Amen. I will rescue them. He's not with you in trouble to be with you. He's with you to rescue you. I will honor them. Pastor Steve, these next 12 months, is going to see that scripture played out in his life. Whatever level that the Lord's honored him already, God's going to deck him out. The honor will actually be a double portion of the shame that the enemy tried to put on you. For keeping your church open, you'll be publicly honored by God. That's a fact. Verse, uh, keep going. I'll reward them with what? I mean, no, we could die at any time. Um, I don't like you. I don't like how you talk. If there weren't so many video cameras, I would consider punching you because I don't like you saying I can die at any time when the Bible says I have what? Long life. What's long life in the Bible? 70, 80? The Bible says by... Uh, 
three score and 10 or four score by reason of strength, 70, 80 minimum. But think of it like a clock. You can go to sleep at seven o'clock if you want, that's 70, eight o'clock if you want. But if you want to stay up till midnight, you can stay till midnight. God set the course. Men's days will no longer be past 120. You can go home when you're ready. Paul went home when he was ready. Well, I mean, you know, the apostle Paul was martyred. Not a, he knew exactly what was happening. And he said, the last book that he wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4, the last two chapters, I have fought, past tense, a good fight. I have finished my race. E.D. I'm done. I've done everything the Lord's called me to do. And now the crown is laid up for me. The crown of righteousness that's not just for me, but for all who wait for the Lord's appearing. Then he went and died when he was done. What happened if they tried to stone him to death when he was, wasn't done yet? Popped up from the rocks, kept preaching. What happened if they put him in jail to kill him before he was done? Broke him out by faith. Devil doesn't get to decide when I die. We all, we now have a one in three chance of getting cancer. Watch the we part. Don't repeat like a parrot what you hear the television that's completely run by pharmaceutical companies. They buy all the ads. There's hardly any television I can put on in my house. I'm not talking about dirty movies or nudity. I'm talking about the commercials that come on trouble my spirit. Are you a man over the age of 50? Who asked you? I'm trying to watch the prices right. Are you using the restroom more than you used to? You could have an enlarged prostate, which leads to prostate cancer. Shut up. And that's not one ad an hour. That's like two, two ads every commercial break. And you think about blindness, spots in the vision, hearing loss, stroke. Then if you fill yourself instead with the Bible, like, like just being here this hour, the word starts getting your mind on beautiful things. A beautiful future. A beautiful outcome. Sorry to use the word beautiful more than even President Trump does. A beautiful destiny. A beautiful outcome with my wife, Adalas. Beautiful time with Camila. A beautified life. I will beautify. God will beautify your life. Faith. Faith in God's word will beautify your life. I see Sister DeStalo. In, in the back row, she's an example of a beautified life. She looks like G Jesus lives in her heart. She looks anointed. She's followed the Lord. She's encouraged me from the day out. I, all the negative things you hear me saying, I've never heard one of them come out of Sister DeSalo's mouth ever. Great message. Love you. You're doing great. God's opening doors for you. It's so exciting to watch what the Lord's going to do in your life. That's how people like her talk. That's how people like you are going to talk. You're going to be the only one, some of you in your family, that have a bright thing that comes out of your mouth for everyone, and they'll mock you and snarl at you in the beginning. But that light coming out of your mouth is going to clear the darkness away from your entire family because it only takes one person in a family to say, I'm not choosing the path of unbelief. I'm choosing the walk of faith. And when you start believing that and speaking it and holding tight to your confession of faith and never letting it go, that power will drive out the other power. And it only takes one person in a family to say enough is enough. I'm going to have the blessing of God and I'm going to attain it by faith. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. 
If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.